Hello and welcome to Critical Darkness, a podcast that talks about crime, murder, mayhem. The way that it's going to work is that me, host Skyler, is going to research and come up with stories and interesting historical information regarding these crimes and murders and tell them to who? Me, Jesse. Jesse, who are you? Your other host. My other host. <laughs> um, I am Skylar's fiance. What? What? Did you just propose to me? <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, so I'm going to be listening to these stories for the first time. Um, I've never heard them. I don't know any facts about them. And I can tell you that Skylar will keep you wondering what's going to happen next. If I do, what if I don't? You just you just set me up for a failure. What if it's like super boring? Yeah, it could be. Then I'm just gonna be like, Skylar, this is shit. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. I just love the touching music though. It's like we're saying shit, and there's like touching music in the background. It's like someone's running in slow motion. Yeah, through some, a field. A really important part in a movie. Where they've slowed down the film, yes, and the people are about to embrace or something. Yeah. Yeah. So Critical Darkness, the reason why I came up with this notion of Critical Darkness is in most, I guess most um, cultures, communities, all of that, there's this idea that there's this good and evil, black and white, light and darkness And without darkness, you can't appreciate light. And without light, you can't appreciate darkness. I don't know. I think sometimes it's hard to appreciate the darkness. But I think on the other end of the darkness, um, there's always something to learn. There really is. So I've always been fascinated with the way that people are here, and then they're not. It's something that actually scares me. Oh, it terrifies me. I've had some really weird experiences in my life, so I don't know how I will react to these stories. I don't know. (laughs) I was going to say you're an empath, and so you might be affected by these stories, and I hope that's not the case. Like I I hope hope you can get, get over them, but... Well, when I'm uncomfortable, I tend to make jokes. Yeah. So uh, when I'm doing that, it's not to make light of these crimes by any means. But <laughs> let's be honest, I laugh at inappropriate times and I say inappropriate things. So, Yeah. And I am really big into researching obscure history. And so a lot of these things that I research and bring up will probably be Things that, for the most part, people haven't heard. I would have to agree with that. The things that Skylar comes to me with, I'm like, what the heck? Where did you even find that? And he's like, well, I was searching this tab, which led me to this tab, which led me to this tab, which led me to this article, which led me to her aunt. And then the cousin had a baby. And (laughs) And you're like, I don't care. (laughs) That's not true. All right, should we get started? Yeah, let's get going. I want to hear the story that you've been working on. All right, these are going to be somewhat casual. I've got different links and things I'll be clicking on, reading through. We'll be discussing them, all that stuff. So this story is coming to us from Utah. 
in the late 1800s, like 1890s. Okay. So this guy named Charles Theed, I don't know that I'm pronouncing that right, but I'm going to be consistent. So Charles Theed and Mary Theed, they were from Germany. They got married, they had a daughter, and then they came to America. They moved to Utah, which wasn't Utah yet. It was actually the territory of Utah around 1890. What did people call Utah before it was Utah? The territory of Utah. Well, that's just silly. Well, we're getting off topic already. (laughs) So the Mormons wanted to call it Deseret. Okay. The government said, screw you. It's going to be Utah. Okay. After the Utes. Okay. Well, that makes sense. All right. And it became a state in 1896. Thank you for that. And the Mormons landed in 1847. Thank you for that. You're welcome. (laughs) All right. So Charles, Mary, and Annie, their daughter, came to Utah in 1890. And he was a saloon owner. He ran different saloons, the Social Hall Saloon, the State Road Saloon, and the Wayside Inn. And there's a lot of interesting things that kind of happened through his life as he was here. And so reading through all these, you know, different stories that were going on, uh, the first one that I'm going to read, he had his, basically his buggy stolen. Okay. And so this is just to kind of get to know him. So it says, Charles Steed, the proprietor of the Social Hall Saloon, has added one more circumstance to his series of the last six months. So, which means that other things have been going on. Like other bad things? Yeah, bad things are just things going on with him. When it rains, it pours. Yeah, so it says, Yesterday afternoon, he missed his horse and buggy. Someone had entered his stable, hitched his favorite steed to the buggy, and departed for parts unknown. This was the last straw with Heed. He ran wildly into the street, not in search of this property, but of someone to whom he might sell what was left. So he's like, I ain't angry that my horse and buggy's gone. I just want to know who wants to buy this bridle. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Who wants to buy this extra saddle? Like, he's just like, I'm going to sell whatever it is. It then says, at one o'clock this morning, Theed was agreeably surprised to see Joseph Ashton, who is not a thief, but is possessed of an overgrowth of cheek, drive the rig to the barn door. He was no sooner seen than forgiven. He had merely borrowed the rig to take a ride. Out of kindness, Ashton was arrested for being drunk but at 10 o'clock today, he pleaded not guilty to the charge, and his case was set for 2 p.m. So it means that Theed wasn't pressing charges for theft. Okay. So he's a decent kind of, Yeah, he's like, you know, hey, whatever. like, you messed up, kind of. Yeah, he's like, whatever, like, you just went for a ride. I'm cool Here with that. Um, throughout the rest of kind of as things went on, he would get in trouble quite a bit for selling liquor without a license. Theed or Ashton? Theed. Okay. And then also, a big no-no, selling liquor on Sunday. Which is still a thing in some places. Yep. So he was uh, always being in trouble for that. I said that... Now, knowing the, the difference of like money and things like that, so back in the 1890s, $1 is worth $26 today. Okay. 
So if you were fined a hundred dollars, that's like being fined twenty six hundred dollars. Well, that sucks. And so every time he was getting fined a hundred dollars for different things like selling liquor on Sunday, he was essentially paying five hundred and twenty dollars for every time because they would be like, "Okay, that's twenty bucks." 20 bucks for selling liquor on Sunday. So he would have to pay a $520 fine. So it makes me wonder though, like if he just did not care because it was worth it because he was selling enough liquor that he didn't care. That's like, what it seems like. Why would you like. keep doing that? Yeah. And can we also just, can I just state that it's freaking ridiculous that there, that this is a law still in some places? Like why? I don't know. Why? And then later on, it said, Sheriff Burt was called to visit Charles Theed of the State Road Saloon again on Sunday evening, but this is for a different reason. It said that this errand was evidently a case of attended suicide by poison. And it says, all the circumstances surrounding this case point to this, but Theed denies it and says it may have been a fit. He has been very despondent and is deeply in debt besides being in other trouble. It was reported yesterday morning that he was dead. But such proved not to be the case. Okay, so what they're saying is Theed is trying to commit suicide by that's, poison. That's what they're thinking. And he's like, no, nah, I, I wasn't trying to kill myself. I was maybe just having a moment. Um, and so they're just saying, like, look, he's in debt. He's been in other trouble for selling liquor on Sunday and without a license and things like that. And so it just continues, you know, showing that he's kind of just getting in trouble a lot. Next up, it said that Charles Steed was up for refusing to pay for a meal he had obtained at the Elite restaurant after considerable wasted energy and attempting to prove him not guilty. The judge fined him $7.50, which will cause Charlie to think he has paid a good price for his early breakfast, which in today's money is $195. Damn. So he, he uh, wanted to dine and dash, got caught, and... He was sitting there spewing off like all the reasons why he was not guilty. And the judge was like, you know what? I'm not, I've already wasted enough time on this case. Like go pay $7 and 50 cents. Yeah. Um, well, and the judge probably had already dealt with him so much before. Yeah. That he was like, F this. Um, then in 1891, he was arrested for assault and battery. He got in a fight with a guy and kicked his ass. And um, so there's a little bit of violence involved. And then in 1891, he fell asleep and had his watch stolen. It was blamed on two girls, but later they were, were proved innocent. And another guy named Ed Burns was the actual thief. So the watch was recovered and Ed Burns was arrested. A year later, one of those girls, Amelia Anderson, would be involved in a slasher type story between two men evidently they were fighting over her and she was a prostitute so she was a hewer she was a hewer <laughs> and they actually called her a nymph of the pav a nymph of the pav yeah i think it's a french term back then but so it's pav not pave p-a-v with an e with a little hyphen over the end a little accent yeah nymph pave. of the pav Pave. Pave. I'm a nymph of the pub. But it was apparently really gross. Like, this hotel was covered in blood 
everywhere. And one of the guys almost died. It was bad. Later on, something... So no one died in that slasher situation. Almost. That's, that's interesting because I feel like usually we use the word slasher when like there's been death. It was slasher because razor blades were involved and there was deep wounds all over faces and arms. What the hell were yeah. they doing? They were cutting each other. But like for pleasure or pain? Like No, the one guy was trying to kill him. Okay. 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 Hey, so, you don't know. <laughs> so she was she was in the room with one of the guys and the other guy kicked open the door and went after the other guy. But she didn't get hurt in the mix? No, she went screaming off to like get someone to stop it. It was pretty intense. Well, you wouldn't want to hurt her face. She is a nymph of the pub. Yeah. So that didn't involve Mr. Theed much, but it's kind of the side story of his story is the fact that she was involved in other things. And Because it, it even said like her... Um, her criminal history took a like a deep dive after that. Interesting. So there's more issues where he's constantly just getting, you know, arrested and fined for selling liquor on Sunday and selling liquor without a license. And he operated mostly in the Murray area, which at the time was outside of the Salt Lake limits. So it wasn't it wasn't part of the necessarily the jurisdiction of salt lake it was like this you know out of town area which now we kind of just look at all the same because you go down the freeway and it's just buildings and buildings and buildings well yeah it's just city after city there's no space in between yeah so this was back when there was more space now something horrible happened after that what year was it 1894 okay so a few years later Mm -hmm. It says, In 1894, a horrible crime was committed at Sandy. Monday night, Mrs. Charles Theed, wife of a saloon keeper, was found dead on the sidewalk near the saloon with two horrible gashes in her throat. The doctors say that if the deceased had made either of the cuts, she could not have made the other. Her husband was stained with blood, and all indications point strongly to the dive keeper as being the author of the awful crime. So they think he did it. Yep. But from what I can tell, none of his previous stuff... Wait, you did say that he got in trouble for assault and battery, but that wasn't towards her. That was not towards her, at least to this first newspaper clipping. Okay. So now we're going to go to a larger description that's more involved. And what article... Where where was this article found? Um, Deseret News as well as Salt Lake Tribune. Okay, and the one that you're about to read from is from what? Salt Lake Tribune. Okay. So it says, it says, a most atrocious murder was committed at Murray. So again, one's saying Sandy, this one's now saying Murray. They're kind of in the, the same area. And it said that her throat was cut from ear to ear. Oh, that's a little bit more than two gashes. And her husband, Charles Theed, is now under arrest, charged with one of the worst crimes, wife murder. Do you know what the actual term for wife murder is? No, that just sounds weird in itself. Uxoricide. Uxoricide. Where does that come from? I don't know, but it's a term for uh, wife killing. Uxoricide. So it says, 
On the night in question, many residents of the vicinity of Thieves Saloon, less than half a mile west of Murray, were startled by a woman's scream coming apparently from Thieves' residence. But But as that it is usual occurrence, but little attention was paid to it. So they're starting to say, hey, this was happening so frequently that nobody... Right. It's kind of like the boy that cried wolf. Right. She was screaming and crying all the time. And, and not in the sense that she was lying about it, but they're just saying, hey, this is happening so much that we're just like, whatever. Just keeping out of it. Yep. So... It says that Thede denies that he did the act, but his story as he told it to Dr. Freebie is a thin one. He says that he sleeps in the saloon and that his wife sleeps in the house about 150 yards west of the saloon. He parted with his wife about 10 o'clock Monday night and then went to sleep. At 12 o'clock, he was awakened by two men who wanted liquor, and during the two hours he claimed he was asleep, his wife was murdered a few feet east of the saloon. The ground showed that there had been a desperate struggle. The woman's hands were cut with a knife and blood was scattered in several places, yet Thede claims he heard nothing. Sheriff McQueen and Deputy Sheriff Montgomery were notified at the county jail about 4 o'clock Tuesday morning. They immediately secured a horse and buggy and started for the scene. When Sheriff McQueen first saw Thede, he was standing behind the bar, coolly taking a drink. When the sheriff entered, Thede said, Well... I killed my wife last night. The sheriff replied, It looks like it. I'll place you under arrest. Thede quickly responded, I didn't kill her, and you have no right to arrest me. So why would he say that? Like, why would he even joke about that? So we're taking, at least from this point, we're taking a hearsay that that's what the sheriff said he said. Oh, okay. So... We're going on now to Thede is supposedly saying he killed her, but then he's saying I didn't kill her. And this is all coming from the sheriff. It's all coming from the sheriff. So then the next title says threats of lynching. They remained about an hour and a half searching for the instrument or any facts regarding the murder. Sheriff McQueen went to Harry Haynes for some reason, leaving the deputy in charge of Thede. There were about 50 men from the army there. Thede continued to repeat that someone connected with the army committed the deed. The Commonwellers, half in earnest and half in fun, kept yelling, Hang him! And this progressed until a hundred men started coming. And it said that the foremost man was carrying a rope. Montgomery took the situation at a glance and saw that the trouble might result if he did not get Thede away. A horse and buggy stood near, and Montgomery caught Thede and drew him into the buggy, and whipping up the animal, soon distanced the enraged Commonwellers, and basically they took him into custody. So, so far we have his wife is dead in a pool. Basically, there's a pool of blood. There was a struggle. Her hand was cut because it seemed like she may have grabbed the knife before she died. And they're trying to find the knife that was part of the attack. Um, And now Thede is saying that part of this group of the army that's down the road must have had something to do with it. And they start just yelling that they want to basically hang him and they're bringing a rope to even do it. 
I, I would not have done well living back then. Let's just say that. Like, <laughs> I am I am too loud. I'm not a lady, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just hear about or see, too, in, in shows, et cetera, of <laughs> women having to be a certain way, et cetera, and I just would have been a loud mouth. Let's just say that. Oh, I don't, I don't deny that. <laughs> so I found an, another article that even went more, more into it, where you have guys that are, are now giving some like information. And so they're actually like giving more information about Theed. And it says, who is he? So Theed is a German about 36 years of age. He has resided at Murray for about eight years and has kept a saloon there continuously before that time he kept a saloon in the city and also a roadhouse south of the city on state road all of his saloons were looked at as tough places and Theed, who is a sort of puglist is looking on as being a hard man he has figured in the courts for almost every kind of offense imaginable about two years ago Theed had a row with an olaf nord and this is the guy that he beat the crap out of it's not looking good for Theed right now. And it said that he even, like, fractured the dude's skull. Like, things things, things aren't looking too hot for him. <laughs> yeah, it's... He's uh, uh, sounding pretty bad right now. He is, and, you know, it's kind of the thing that you always say, you know, pick your friends wisely. You know, this guy, the way that he lived his life is that, you know, he was kind of playing with fire constantly. Yep. So then in another article there's some more information and it says that he changing his name. I said this too was unearthed in the office of the clerk of the district court. And if it be true as ex-attorney Waddell says that Charles Steed was tried in 1885 on a charge of murdering Henry Gardner. So it goes on to a little bit about it, but I actually found some information about that murder. And so there were two guys that stopped in a... There was a, a party that was going on, a wedding party. And these two guys started getting into a fight about whose horse could pull better. Oh my heck, the fights that happened back then that led to death. Are insane. So it's like, my horse is stronger than your horse. No, it's not. And no, it's not. Mine is. And so next thing you know, one of them throws a punch. They're on the, the ground fighting. And this barkeep, again, this is in Murray, Murray Sandy area. And this barkeep's name was Charles Nielsen. So we have Charles Theed. Mm. who I'm talking about, and we have this guy named Charles Nielsen. Okay. So Charles Nielsen then tells these two guys to leave. And the one guy wants to come back in, and this Charles Nielsen kicks him in the stomach. Basically kicking him out of the bar, kicking him in the stomach. And there's other people who said that he had like stomped on him and kicked him more and punched him in the head and things like that. But when he got kicked in the stomach, it ruptured his bladder and within a couple days, dude was dead. The dude was dead? Dead. He fell over 
and died. Dead as a doornail. <laughs> Jeez. All right. So wow, uh, that's a yeah, so kind of a freak accident there. Well, it wasn't really an accident. So fighting over a horse gets kicked in the stomach by Charles Nielsen. I know, who, but Charles Nielsen wasn't trying to kill him. Come on. No, he's not. But what would happen is he would be arrested for it. And from what I could research, the trial would go on, or at least they would try to convict him for almost 10 months. And it went from a murder charge down to trying to get him for uh, manslaughter, and then he ended up getting acquitted. So not guilty, and supposedly... This guy is saying that because after he was acquitted, he changed his name to Charles Theed. But he used to be Charles Nielsen. So the witness is like, this dude killed already once before. I, I thought it might be going in that direction, but I honestly thought that the guy was trying to just act like two people at the same time, though. Like he was saying, I'm Charles Nelson over here and I'm Charles Theed over here? Yes. Like in different places, he's known as Charles Nelson. And then in, a, in other places, he's known as Charles Theed. But that's not too far off from what actually is going on. Because technically, people do know him as Charles Nelson in this certain particular place, right? And then he moved and now people know him as Charles Theed. So unless you do some research... And back then, obviously, how easy was it for people to do research? How would you even know that somebody used to be named this? You wouldn't. Someone could just totally act like a new person, move somewhere else and change, like just be somebody different. So do you want to know if it was the same person? It, is it not? Stay tuned. All right, so the research that I have done has indicated that they are not the same person. Because I can go into... I feel tricked. <laughs> I can go into Ancestry <laughs> Records and see that Charles Theed's father is Theed. Okay, but like, you totally... I just feel tricked. I'm telling you, you made it sound like it was the same person. But that's part of this issue, right? So you have a quote-unquote witness So you're saying, saying... So here's the thing. Newspaper articles that I have come across, they said that Charles Nielsen, like in the court hearings, was a blonde Swiss person. Okay. Charles Theed is a darker-haired German man. And... There wasn't a hair dye back then. <laughs> I mean, there probably was. Uh, Black, coal, and whatever. Like, they could... Well, I know, but for extended periods of time. Yeah. So what you're saying is the problem is that there's a lot of um, he said, she said Yeah. going on. Yeah, so you have this quote-unquote witness saying, he is this other person who essentially got away with murder. And they're already wanting to hang him from the very beginning, like the day that it happened. Yeah, because they are pissed. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't do it. 
But let's read more. Yeah, did he do it? Like, so that's that's the issue. So, and the thing that you're going to find out is that a lot of these, a lot of these witnesses are like it's just basically circumstantial evidence. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that means? Just more so, like based on the circumstances. Yeah. So. The fact that he liked to break the law, in fact, they would even say that part of what makes him guilty is like, well, he never kept the Sabbath day holy. Like, he was not a good church-going dude. Yeah, because all non-church-going dudes just murderers for sure. But, but look at this, okay. So let's read this part. So this John B. Anderson, who resides near the Thede dwelling, saw Mrs. Thede sitting near the saloon Sunday evening while he was returning home from a visit to the camp of the Industrial Army. So again, the Industrial Army was the army that was camped who Thede said was responsible for doing this. Mm -hmm. He says, do you know of any quarrels between Mr. and Mrs. Thede? He said, lots of times. When? Well, I saw him strike her on the head. The blood streamed from a wound, and she ran into my sister. There was a hole in her head, and her eye was black. How long ago was this? About a couple of months. Did you hear any noise down there that night? Yeah, I heard squealing down there. Who was squealing? I don't know. I opened the door, but didn't go down because I was afraid. Afraid of whom? Thede? Yes, sir. What time did you hear these outcries? Well, between one and two o'clock. You had been to bed? Yes, sir, and got up. How many voices were there? It sounded like two or three. Did the noise sound as if it came from someone who was drunk or from someone who was in terror? It sounded as if they were getting hurt. Was it a man's voice or a woman's voice? I can't say. I thought they were drunken men and went back to bed. When after this assault you say was committed on Mrs. Thede, did you see her? Asked Mr. Stiep. The next day... How did she look? She had scratches on her face and a hole in her head. So, basically, this person saying that Thede had beat his wife and she had a black eye and also a hole in her head that she was bleeding from. A hole in her head. That's, <laughs> that's quite the description. Yeah. Later on, so it goes down to another person and it says... Did she have any marks upon her that evening? Asked Mr. Stop, taking up the examination for the defense. Not that evening, but often before. Why did you want her to remain? Because he wanted to remain at her house. Mm -hmm. He had whipped until she was made sick. Had he whipped her that day? It was on Sunday night that he whipped her. The Inquisition closed at this point, and the jury a few minutes later rendered its verdict. So, we have... No murder weapon. We have just people saying, well, he's beat her before. And he ends up being convicted of murder. Okay. It now goes, he goes, look, um, I want to uh, appeal. I mean, here's the thing. You put those kind kinds of facts in modern day today um 
people are going to be saying you did it. Well, and that's the thing is one, they were even trying, the defense was even trying to say, well, he beat her so much and never killed her. Oh my gosh. So if, if that's the case, you would think that it would be just one time thing. Like it would be just beat her. And then it was a, a, out of rage that he killed her. But if, if he's beat her before and he never killed her and he never hurt her terribly. Oh my gosh, that's so bad. Why, you know, why now? What makes this different? That's so bad. And so it's all just circumstantial evidence. They do not have a weapon at all. They don't have hard hard facts, really. Yeah, and, and the thing that you have to think about too is there there are some other things that people said that he said. Like that he went to his wife and, and picked her up and she had spoke to him and said like, oh, Charles, you know, kind of like the last, last moments of her life. But they're like, no, her head was almost like completely off. Oh. There's no way. She wasn't talking. That's pretty disturbing. Yeah. Like her windpipes, everything was cut. It, the only thing, the only reason why her head didn't come off was because of the spine. And so the other thing too is I'm looking at a, at, at a point of view of if, if I came upon a grisly scene where you had been hurt, I would probably be picking you up and I would have blood all over me. Right? Yeah. Like if you were carrying me somewhere. Yeah. And so they're saying, well, so, so there's a couple things that don't make sense with this story. If he did kill her, why would he go to the neighbor's house to get help and then also call a doctor and get help? And then... I don't know, because by that point, if her head's hanging on by a thread, it's like, I think it's pretty clear that yeah. she's not going to make it. And, and they were trying to say, though, that he wouldn't have that much blood on him unless the heart was beating when he approached her. Because at that point, the blood's going to be spraying versus picking someone up who is bleeding out and you would just have blood like on your arms or something. I don't know. I think there's probably going to be lots of blood no matter what. There will be. But the fact is they never found a weapon. And it was all circumstantial. So it was all just based on the way that he attacked someone else before that supposedly he killed another person before. Even though that's two different people. And that he had beat his wife multiple times. And there was also a thing, too, where someone was saying that he had sent his daughter. So if you remember, they had a 10-year-old daughter. And that he had sent her away the night before. Mm, that doesn't help his case either. But is that true? The daughter claims that it's not true. Mm. So let's get into that part. So we're now at the point where we know his past. He was a non-Sabbath keeping, liquor selling without a license, selling liquor on Sundays. 
had multiple run-ins with the law, supposedly beat his wife, but I couldn't find a single newspaper article with him being charged of that. Okay. But it may have also not been illegal back then. Because women were treated oh so well. Yes. And then you have his wife is dead. He finds her. He tries to get help. He may have admitted to it, may have not admitted to it. And but in the end, he says he didn't do it. And supposedly sent his daughter away the night that it happened. So let's see what she has to say about it. All right. This article says, Theed is now in solitary confinement at the penitentiary, awaiting with what calmness he can command the death sentence and the final dread scene. Last Saturday, his daughter, Anna, a child of 10 years, visited him in company with Miss Conan, who has cared for the little one ever since her mother's murder. Then was the last meeting between the father and the daughter, soon to be made an orphan by the action of the law. Theed fondled and caressed his child and broke into an agony of tears when the lapse of 30 minutes compelled their separation for no interview in the penitentiary may last longer time. So basically there was a 30 minute and that's it. Before this, he had signed a paper giving his consent to Miss Conan's adoption of his daughter. When the document was presented to him, he broke down completely, and it required five minutes for the man, already as dead in the eyes of the law, to pen with trembling fingers the signature acknowledging his awful position. Then he handed the little girl two dollars, saying, This is all the money Papa has in the world. Papa likes to smoke but he will do so no more that his dear little daughter may have the money. He also gave her an inexpensive Christmas card because this was on the uh, night before Christmas. Jeez. Way to ruin Christmas. It says, Both offerings were accepted by the child with little manifestation of feeling. In response to his remark about giving up smoking, Anna replied, Well... Christian scientists don't believe in smoking anyway. She referred to her father's acceptance of Christian science faith being herself under the same influences. So they weren't Mormons. They were uh, Christian science faith believers. Okay. It says, Miss Conan's eyes filled with tears as she related to Judge McNally the story of the meeting of the father and child behind the cell bars of the penitentiary and she asserted her belief in his innocence, notwithstanding the chain of evidence upon which the conviction was obtained. She believes that Theed's cruel temper and ill-treatment of his wife have brought him into his present position, and with the faith of soul's welfare. In support of her refusal to accept the jury's verdict, she quotes from the interview between father and child on Saturday, it was brought out during the trial that Theed sent his daughter away the night of the murder. Theed always denied this vehemently, and Miss Conan, who says the child has all of her father's temper and willfulness, believes him. During the conviction on Saturday, Theed said, Oh, Anna, if I could make the people believe I didn't send you away that awful night. You can't make them believe it, so what is the use of trying, was the child's unfeeling reply. Why did you go away, the father further inquired. I went away just because I wanted to, answered Anna, and with that the subject was dropped. 
It is interesting in the connection with the case to know that the child of 10 not only realizes the position in which her father is placed, but believes that by suffering he may atone for the crime. She is fully imbued with the Christian scientist's belief that one must suffer if he commits a wrong, and so believing is resigned to the execution. The application for the adoption of the child was brought up in the probation court by Judge Bowman, who submitted the request of the condemned father. This document is on all probability the last legal one that Theed will ever sign, as he has no property to bequeath and no friends to communicate with. So, essentially, he gave his daughter up for adoption, and even the woman believes that Theed didn't do it, but says that his ill treatment of his wife is what essentially led him to where he is now. Well, I'm sorry, but I think that it's easy to um, point fingers when you're known for punching your wife and putting holes in her head. <laughs> like, I think the most logical thing to do would be to blame the husband who's already been abusive. Yeah. Yeah. So, now we end up... It goes to the Supreme Court because they were trying to say that there were some issues with the trial. For one, lack of evidence, but for two, one of the witnesses needed a translator and one of the persons who was a juror actually helped translate for the witness. So, like, how mm. can he be a juror if he is being a, a translator for the witness. Yeah, that's a little uh, dipping your toes in too much. And not, not only that, but they were even saying that what he translated wasn't even correct. Um, then we got a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> Houston, we've got a problem. Supreme Court didn't care. They were just like, uh, he was able to listen just as good as anyone else. And so the Supreme Court said, we agree that it is valid and fair and that he should be put to death still. So now we're going to read from an article that says, Theed to be hanged. Okay. All right. So the prosecuting attorney, Howitt, rising, he says, if the court please, I now move for judgment upon the verdict. A death-like silence prevailed as Judge Barch, looking across at the prisoner, said in a strong tone of voice, Charles Theed, stand up. Theed, trembling like a leaf, at an ounce obeyed the command. The court asked, have you anything to say why the sentence of the court shall not be pronounced against you? The prisoner, appearing half-dazed, did not seem quite to understand what was said to him, and Judge Bart repeated the question. All I have got to say, responded Theed, in hesitation, faltering voice, is that I am not guilty of the charge I am charged with. God in heaven knows I am not guilty. The man who did it is the only one under heaven that knows I am not guilty. Stretching forth his right arm and pointing heavenward, the prisoner excitingly exclaimed in a loud voice, I don't know anything about it. Only him who murdered my dear wife knows I am not guilty of the crime I am charged with. 
As Steve concluded the last sentence, he spoke tremulously, and tears came into his eyes. It looked for a moment as though he would break right down, but he soon pulled himself together again and listened attentively for what had to follow. Have you anything further to say? asked the court deliberately. No, was Steve's feeble response. Then Judge Barch proceeded to pronounce sentence. He said, you were indicted by the grand jury of this judicial district for the crime of murder in the first degree. You have been tried by a jury in the manner provided by law and found guilty of that crime. The penalty fixed by the statute for the crime of which you have been convicted is death. This must be inflicted either by hanging you by the neck until you are dead or by shooting you at your discretion. Which mode of death do you elect shall be inflicted upon you? Theed momentarily turned very pale and answered in words broken by inward emotion, If you think you have strength enough in your own heart to put an innocent man to death, I will leave it to you. Judge Barch, You will leave it to the court then? Theed merely answered yes. Judge Howitt, I think the defendant should elect or refuse to elect. Judge Barch, Do you refuse to elect which mode of death shall be pronounced against you? Theed, I will leave it to you. Judge Barch, well, do you still refuse to elect which? Theed, yes, sir. I think we get the point. Like, how many times do they have to ask? Are you sure? Are you sure that you, you don't You sure you don't want to choose how you get killed? Um, yes. Okay, now, now are, you, are you positive? I'm quite positive. Okay, Mr. Seed, wait, no, wait. Are you, are you sure? Like, <laughs> seriously... Goes on to say, Judge Barch, it is the judgment of the court that you, Charles Seed, be taken from hence to some place of confinement until Tuesday, the 18th day of December, 1894, and between the hours of 10 o'clock in the forenoon of that day and 2 o'clock in the afternoon of said last named day, in the yard of the jail or place where you are confined, or in some other place provided within this judicial district, you are to be hanged by the neck until you are dead, and may God have mercy on your soul. So, he didn't want to be shot. He didn't want to pick being hanged, but the court decided that he was to be hanged by the neck until he died. And a lot of cases, the way that hanging would work, there'd be a platform with a trap door, and when the door would open, the person would fall through the hole with a noose around their neck, and it would snap their neck. They decided to use a little bit different method this time around. Like, specifically this time around with Charles Theed? This would be the last time, I believe, that this device would be used. In Utah? Maybe anywhere else. Oh boy, okay. So, they spent, in today's dollars, $2,600 to put this thing together... And what made this one different is that the prisoner would stand there with the noose around their neck and there would be a counterweight, 450 pounds, that would drop, pulling the person, jerking them up to break the neck. Why? I don't know. Maybe they Why? feel like the person's body weight isn't enough and they figured... Like, you don't have to have, like, a scaffolding. It's easier to, like, block it so people are watching. I have no idea. Um, that makes no sense. 
but it cost $150. So like I said, 26. It, so it was actually more than that. It was, it was what, like $3,200 or something. That's even worse. It's like, why not just go the old route? I don't know. Ye old route. All right. So now we're going to hear what Theed said on his essentially deathbed. Death, death rope hang. death platform i think i might be a little desensitized right now to like hanging only because of game of thrones well game of thrones and the haunted hill house or whatever not as much that that, that freaked me out but game of thrones shows people hanging all yeah. the time way worse than that so the other thing with this right so was theed innocent or was he guilty i don't know a lot of people, I'm not saying that everybody, but a lot of people when they are faced to execution aren't going to lie about it, right? Like they'll say, I did it. Yeah. Because they're going to die anyway. Like there's there's so even well. there's serial killers in prison on death row that are like, no, I killed these 20, but, these but other I did 10. not kill these three. Like I'm not claiming those three at all, but I killed these 20 and I killed four others that you don't know about. So it begs the question, like, why would they, like, you know, say, of course, yeah, I killed these 20, but not these three. Like, why would they lie? Yeah. They have no point in lying. There's no point. You're dead. You're going to, yeah. Theed is on death row. Like, he has the noose around his neck, standing on the platform. He's not getting out of it. So he's either going to say, I did it or I didn't do it. And I'm not saying, like I said, there's probably people that still on their deathbed are going to lie and say they didn't do it. But at this point, there's no there's no reason for him to lie. He's a dead well, man. Well, I guess unless you um, are so worried about people around you judging you even after death, even though you don't exist anymore. We will get to that. Okay. Well, because here's the thing. He is a wife killer. Like, he's branded that anyways, regardless of his okay. innocent or yeah. not. Yeah, yeah. Right? So... All right, so this is Theed's speech according to the Salt Lake Herald. And it says, Standing on the platform with the noose dangling over his head, Theed in a tremulous voice replied, Gentlemen, I am convicted of murdering my wife. For the last time before dying, I wish to profess my innocence. With that, he handed a letter to County Attorney Whittermore. The straps were again tightened. The black cap was drawn over his head. Sheriff Hardy waved his handkerchief, the lever was pulled, and Theed was dangling in the air. There was a convulsive movement of limbs, the fingers twitched, and then Dr. Wright placed his finger on the pulse of the right hand, while Dr. Brown did the same with the left, and Dr. Penrose timed the pulsations. The drop fell at 10.39 at 10:47 the pulse of the victim was beating at an 84 rate and at 10:44 had risen to 96 at 10:45 the rate had increased to 120 and this continued for the space of 30 seconds when it suddenly fell to 108 two and a half minutes later it was beating at 60 and from that time decreased until 10:54 he was pronounced dead, the time being 14 minutes. Oh my gosh. You know why it took so long? Why? Because the thing didn't work. 
it didn't break his neck. I thought you were going to say, because it wasn't Charles Theed. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't know where you were going. <laughs> I've been watching too much Game of Thrones. Okay, it didn't sh- It didn't break his neck. It didn't break his neck. It just strangled so him. It just strangled him for 14 minutes. He hangs there and died. That is terrible. It's terrible if he's innocent. Uh, and he said he was innocent right before he died. He did. Now, here's the letter that he handed the person. He handed a letter to the person? Yeah, to be read after his death. Did you mention that? I sure did. Oh, I must have not heard you. He says, I, Charles Theed, tried and convicted of murdering my wife, have only a few hours on this earth, and soon got to part from it. As I am condemned to die on the gallows this morning, will state for the last time in my dying hours that I am innocent of the crime of which I have to die for, and know not the least thing about it. The statement Will McQueen and John Montgomery made on the witness stand that I had said to them I had murdered my wife is absolutely false, and their own conscience tells them so, so long as they live. I have prayed to our Heavenly Father to forgive them and all those who have wronged me. I know I should live in heaven. They have taken my body, but cannot take my soul, and therefore I will bring the guilty man to justice. I hope and one more pray to our Lord that I may be the first and the last victim who has to die on the gallows in our new and glorious state of Utah on purely circumstantial evidence. Written on this 7th day of August in the year of our Lord, 1896 at 8 a.m. And then he does some um, phrase in, I think, uh, like Italian. Mm-hmm. So... He died. His daughter, who was adopted out, she actually they actually changed her name even. They it went from Annie Theed to Mary Louisa. What? Which, How old was she? She was ten. They changed a girl's name at ten years old. But her mom's name was Mary. So maybe it's kind of a I don't know, homage. Tribute? Yeah. So here's the crazy thing. So here you were talking about like, well, I don't want, if I'm guilty, then they're just going to judge me afterwards, right? Well, he was possibly innocent too, and they're still judging him. So they go to bury him in the Sandy Cemetery. And the people who lived in Sandy refused to have him buried there. And there became the standoff with, like, weapons. What? Yeah, so the citizens, like, came together with their weapons, and the Theed, whoever was dealing with, like, the body, they had their weapons. And they're like, you will not bury him here. You need to bury him somewhere else. My gosh. Like, dig his ass back up and put him somewhere else. We don't want that wife murdering blankety-blank in the cemetery. (laughs) Blankety-blank. And so they ended up agreeing and they ended up putting him in a field, like burying him in a field. like. So we can't visit his grave? I don't know. I don't know if he was moved again or not. His daughter, who was 10 at the time, she had maybe mixed feelings. 
So she believed he was innocent, and the adopted mother believed he was innocent, but she also kind of was like, well, but if he's not innocent, then I believe he's paying for what he did. But she never, she never hated her father. And how old did she live? She so. ended up dying at the age of 18. She oh. Got, she got sick. Really? Yep. So I found, I found his death records. I found her death records and read what it said. It took her three days to die. So she was sick for three days and had died. Oh, my gosh. It's hard to read exactly what she died from, but it was was like pneumonia or something like that. So there's uh, no record of any other siblings or the adopted... They They only had one kid between them, which was Annie. And when did you know when the adopted parents died? Mm-mm. Oh, jeez. No, because they... Well, so, again, there's all these stories that, like, tie together. So the lady that adopted Annie, her husband ran off with a young girl. Oh. And, like, left her. And so there was, like, controversy. So, so you have controversy over the girl that stole you know, was accused of stealing Thede's watch, who then was part of that slasher, slasher. story. Then you have uh, Thede possibly being this Charles Nielsen who kicked and killed somebody, you know, kicked him in the stomach. What a tangled story. Then you have the Thede himself um, being this, you know, non-Sabbath-keeping, ruthless, saloon-keeper, drunkard who beat his wife sometimes, according to some witnesses, and is tried and found guilty for wife murder only on circumstantial evidences. It makes me wonder where their houses, etc., were in Murray slash Sandy, because yeah. obviously I'm very familiar with those areas, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it would be interesting to like go to the Murray History Museum or Sandy History Museum and... To see what they I, have. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if Murray has one, but I know Sandy does yeah. for sure. And then you have obviously the not really controversy, but you have the issues with the adopted, you know, family or the adopted lady having her own story of her husband running off with a young gal. Yeah. So that's the story that I have for you this week. I wasn't expecting a Utah story. I don't know why I just wasn't. Now, I did notice that you, in his letter that he wrote the morning that he was going to die, uh-huh. uh, you said that he had put Heavenly Father. Yeah. Now, that's interesting. Do you think there's some Mormon background there? He's not a Mormon. He's not? He, he was a part of the, the Christian Science Church. Because I just um, feel that that is used a lot in the Mormon church. And, so. I, and he may have used that for the the point to like bring it home to the people around him. Mm, because there's probably a lot of Mormons around him, no? Yeah, and they 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 tried to keep his daughter. I think his daughter actually wanted to go to the hanging as well as like the court proceeding he had to test she had to testify against her father 
or in the sense that they used her as a witness. But as I said before, she claimed that he didn't send her away that night. She's like, yeah, I kissed, you know, I kissed them goodbye in the morning and this and that. And, and, but apparently she just decided to stay out late or something. Huh. But it is interesting because he slept, they didn't sleep in the same bed. Like he slept in the saloon and she slept in the house. That's 150 yards away. Yeah, it, it just, it really makes me want to go look into these, these areas where they lived, you know, just not, not, not even if there was anything there. Yeah, it'd be also interesting to know if they moved the body again or not and buried it proper or not. Right. I'm going to go ahead and say no, but <laughs> there's some pretty old grave sites. Yeah. So, I don't know. But yeah, so this is the first story out of Utah from 1894. And... Now, you're not you're not always going to do older stories like that. You're going to do a ride, ride, <laughs> a wide range of stories, right? It just, well, it depends because they're going to be, I like obscure stuff. Yeah. And so, or just like really abnormal. Yeah. And and to be honest, like the Wild West and back then it was crazy. Oh, people people be dying for so, nothing. So for me, it's just you can find some really interesting, like crazy stories because it's back in the back in the wild, wild west. Yeah. I get that. All right, so that is the first episode of Critical Darkness. If you want to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at info at criticaldarkness.com. You can find us on Facebook by doing a search for Critical Darkness. We have an Instagram, which is Critical Darkness Pod, as well as Twitter, Critical Darkness Pod. That's it. That's all she wrote. That's all she wrote. Till next time. Until next time.